You're listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message at 11 a.m. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. To learn more, visit mtcarmeldemarest.com or facebook.com forward slash mtcarmeldemarest. Thanks for listening. If you take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, verses 24 through 25. I do want to give one word of warning for those with uh, little ears. And I don't mean that literally, I mean that figuratively. Uh, Today's sermon uh, is related to sexual sin. And so I just wanted to always give parents um, an opportunity that if you have little children that uh, you don't want to hear this, you're, you're free to go. I get it completely. And uh, at the same time, I would encourage you, uh, though, uh, to stay. Romans chapter 1, verses 24 through 25. Please, if you don't have a Bible, take a Bible on the back of the pew in front of you. Find Romans chapter 1. And if you don't have a Bible at home, uh, we would love to equip you with God's Word. Take that Bible with you. That's our gift to you. I also would encourage you inside your bulletin, there's an insert. Inside that insert, there's a space for blanks. There's sermon notes. Fill those in as we go through today's uh, sermon. And then also, if you have a smartphone and you've downloaded the YouVersion Bible app, Y-O-U, YouVersion Bible app, uh, you can go to the More tab, tap events, find Mount Carmel Baptist Church, uh, click on today's sermon title, and there you'll have all the notes, quotes, and references. I do want to encourage you while you're in the Bible app, there's kind of two announcements for you. One, if you want to participate in our Advent 25-day devotional reading, we're doing it as a church through the Bible app. Uh, that's there and available. You can click on the link and sign up there. Uh, but it will start next Sunday, December 1st, and we'll run to Christmas Day. And then also I want to encourage you again that uh, just like we gave you invites, you can share from your Bible app uh, the Christmas event schedule. You'll see it there. You can click on the link and then just share it to your social media. So I want to encourage you to do that as well. Romans chapter 1, verses 24 through 25. We're in part 8 of Romans chapter 1, and I've entitled this sermon, Deliverance. Deliverance. Will you please stand for the reading of God's Word? Romans chapter 1, verse 24 says, Therefore, God delivered them over in the desires of their hearts to sexual impurity, so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a law and worshiped and served what has been created instead of the Creator who is praised forevermore. Amen. Let's bow for prayer. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, by the power of your Holy Spirit, deliver us from all evil. Holy Spirit, grant me the clarity of mind and concision of speech needed for this hour. Convict all of us of our sin, of Jesus' righteousness, and our imminent judgment. Grant us repentance of sin and faith in Jesus alone as our Deliverer and God. In Jesus' strong name we pray and all God's people say, Amen. You may be be seated. 
Since Romans chapter 1 verse 18, Paul has been spelling out the problem that the gift of righteousness in verse 17 and salvation in verse 16, which are unleashed in the preaching and the gospel of God's Son, Jesus, was designed to solve. So why do we preach the gospel? Why does God make righteousness as a gift available to all people? Because of the predicament that humanity finds itself in in verse 18. And it all begins with suppression of the truth in unrighteousness. Every one of us, you and me, everybody knows God. We know it in the pit of our soul. And we know better. We know we ought to live better. But we don't want to acknowledge the truth of God because if we acknowledge God's existence, then we would have to change our lives. We are inexcusable, Paul says. Then come irreverence and ingratitude. If we honor or give thanks to God, then it is a tacit admission that we know Him. And we can't afford to do that. So we ignore God and remove Him from our thinking. And our reasonings become empty and worthless. We can't objectively answer life's most pressing questions. Where did we come from? You're going to need God to answer that. What what are you here for? You're going to need God to answer that. And what is right and wrong? You're going to need God to answer that as well. Ironically, God will not allow us to suppress asking these questions. (laughs) You can suppress Him, but you can't suppress your search for the truth. And we can stifle God, but you can't stifle your impulse to worship, make much of, and enjoy God now and forever. So here's what we do. When we can't suppress these things, God allows us to substitute Him. We have substituted the glory of the immortal God for idols and dreams that disappoint, decay, and die. But these idols and dreams, they provide something for us to orient our lives around, something to live for, some temporary measure of satisfaction. And the sum total of all of this leads us to verse 24. Consequently, all of this brings you and me under God's wrath. Now what is God's wrath? Theologian and preacher John Stott described it this way. God's wrath is His holy hostility to evil. His holy hostility to evil. It is God's refusal to condone or come to terms with sin. It is His just judgment upon it. Theologian and preacher J.I. Packer described it this way, the right reaction of moral perfection in the Creator towards moral perversity in the creature. I know you and I don't like to consider and contemplate God's wrath against us, but can I tell you what we equally don't like? We also don't like a God who would ignore every act of evil, oppression, and injustice. We don't want that either. 
Why? Because we want to see other people judged for their sins. The fact of the matter is this, we just don't want to be judged for ours. So we suppress the truth of God in unrighteousness. We substitute the glory of God for fake and false images. In brief, God hates all sin. Sin has ruined His creation. Sin has ruined us. Sin has ruined us for Him. Sin has spoiled God's universe and God righteously reacts towards it. And in verse 18, Paul says this, that God's wrath is revealed. The wrath of God, while there is coming a culmination of God's wrath, we call it the day of judgment. It's still coming. I need you to know that God's wrath has already began to simmer today. We experience God's wrath right now as a present reality. The present reality is this. Can I read Romans 124 to you right here? One more time there at the front. It says, Therefore, because of all of humanity's sinfulness, our inexcusableness, our irreverence, our ingratitude, our idolatry, our ignorance of Him, this is what God has done. God delivered them over. God delivered them over. Now, how are we to understand delivering us over? That doesn't seem so bad. (laughs) Okay, so He's given up on us. That's really not the whole idea. It's not God just abandoning us. It is more akin to being delivered over to a foreign power. Like in the Old Testament, when the people of Judah came under God's discipline, God sent the Babylonians to come and take them captive to a foreign land. That's not just a letting go. It includes a letting go, but here's what it also includes. A shove. Did you catch that? It's not just abandonment and letting go. It's pushing you away in another direction. Write this down in your notes. God's wrath now. God's wrath now is this. Delivering us to another's control. Delivering us to someone else's or some, some things control, something else. We are no longer within the restraining grace of God. He has shoved us out of that. And we're left to our devices. Now please notice this. Just because God allows this to happen does not mean He ever intended it to happen or even wanted it to happen. This is a just reaction. This is God's justice being met out upon people who go this. I want to ignore Him. And He's like, fine, if you want life with me, have it your way. And He pushes you away. It's justice. Now here's the question. Whose control? Write it into your notes. Whose control? Whose control have we been handed over to? Who have we been delivered over to in our sin? Look at the next part of verse 24. Therefore God delivered them over, handed them over, put control to somewhere else in the desires of their hearts. Here's what you write down. Whose control? 
our uncontrollable desires. Now that doesn't sound scary at first. Church, it is horrific. He says, you won't control, I'll hand you control. He's not delivered us over to just anybody. He's delivered you to yourself. You say, well, what's so wrong with my heart? What's so wrong with my desires? The Greek word here for desire is epithumia. Thumia or thumos is the word for will or wish, desire, a passion. Remember when we did our sermon series on what is God's will? It was what is God's thumos? What's his passion? What's his desire for your life? But notice in this Greek word, there's a prefix attached to it, epithumias or thumos. And it means this, over-desire. He handed us over to the over-desires in our heart. Now please catch this. This is revealing. The main problem of our heart is not so much desires for bad things, church, but our over-desires for good things. Our turning of created good things. Remember what we said? Anything created can become, anybody remember? An idol. So we're talking about good desires out of control and they turn into gods or objects of worship and service. We end up living to fulfill these over-desires. We live up ending to find satisfaction in these over desires. I hope you're catching this already. You'll never find satisfaction. You'll never find fulfillment. You have been put into a rat race. We believe the law that life would be better without God's restraint. We, would, we believe the law that life would be better without God's limits. No, it's not. In his blog this week, Seth Godin writes, a 440-foot yacht isn't better than a 200-foot yacht unless you're measuring better in terms of status. And of course, once someone has a 445-foot yacht, then the 440-foot model is a lot less attractive, isn't it? And that's why status seekers need limits. The Citation 10, it's an airplane. It can fly 711 miles an hour. And no matter how much you spend, you can't buy a jet that'll go over 800 miles an hour because of the laws of physics combined with the laws on sonic booms. You can't just do that. <laughs> Makes it impossible with our current technology. As a result... The owner of a Citation 10 can find the satisfaction that he has reached the limit. But catch this, Godin goes on to say, there are two dangers of measuring happiness like this. The first is that you'll be easily disappointed because this increases the chance that you will end up behind. That as soon as you get your desire, what will you find? Something else. And as soon as you get it, what will you find? Something else. And so you're on this ever long journey trying to find satisfaction and fulfillment. But here's the, even the second scenario, which is even worse. What happens when you come to the end and you find the limit and you did it all and none of it satisfied? 
So you have an unending search and then a one that ends and you're left empty-handed. You go to live life to the full and you find out it was full of nothing. This is life on empty. This is life without God. You were meant to find your satisfaction and your desires ultimately fulfilled in Him. He's the terminus. C.S. Lewis in The Problem of Pain sums it up this way. The lost, those who are estranged from God, he says, enjoy forever the horrible freedom they have demanded and are therefore self-enslaved. If you want to know what God's wrath is against humanity presently, He delivers you over to yourself and you enslave yourself. God has delivered control to our uncontrollable desires. What now? What happens when we go out to live our heart's intention? Notice the next phrase in verse 24. Therefore God delivered them over in the desires of their hearts, and notice the fulfillment or the result, to sexual impurity. Number two, write this down in your notes. This leads to sexual impurity. This leads to sexual impurity. Now, church, I know, and I told my wife in advance of today, there'll be a holy hush over this whole congregation the entire time I'm preaching. All right? Play ball with me. All right? Sexual desire is a good thing. There's nothing wrong with it inherently. But it is also a created thing. And what did I just remind you of? A created thing can become what? An idol. So sexual desire can become an idol. In the context, context of God's wrath now, revealed as a present reality, whatever we worship, adore, make much of, find more satisfying than God, we become like that. All right? If God is the object of our worship, we would become more Christ-like. Well, if our desires, though, are, sex, are set on sexual fulfillment, you will become a person who is sexually impure. Whatever you worship, that's what you become. Why does God oppose all forms of sexual impurity, and I will name some. This is not an exhaustive, exhaustive list, but I need you to know precisely what I'm talking about this morning, including promiscuity, adultery, pornography, and homosexuality. And we'll address some of these more in the coming weeks. Not at Christmas, past that, all right? Here's what I want you to think about. Sex is telic, T-E-L-L-I-C. I don't know if you remember from last week's sermon, I said that you are telic. You were created for a purpose. Telic or telos in the Greek means an end goal or an end game in mind. God put you on the planet for a purpose. Every created thing has a purpose. God doesn't do random things. Well, when he's given you a desire for sex, he has a purpose for that. All right? He has a reason for that. Sex is a created thing, created by God, is purposed by God, and He has created it with a particular context in mind. 
When sex is not carried out for God's intended purpose, a deluge of emotional, mental, and spiritual pain and confusion, listen, without restraint or God's limits, sexual desires will dominate your life and will destroy your family. It will destroy our church. It will destroy our our community. And let's go ahead and face facts, folks. It's destroyed our nation. So what did God create sex for? I'm going to make it real simple. Break it down. Sex is for marriage. Period. God has reserved the power of sex for the intimacy of marriage. And I'll go ahead and define this one. Marriage is one man, one woman, and a covenant commitment for a lifetime. Can I go ahead and tell you, anything outside of that is not marriage, and it's not sex. Because God created it, and God tells you what it's for. And may I remind you about this. Marriage isn't for sex. Now catch that. Did you catch what I just said? Sex is for marriage, but marriage isn't for sex. You say, well, then what's marriage for? Marriage is for Christ. That's another sermon for another day. Read Ephesians chapter 5. Church, we as a society, and we must include ourselves because we're a part of that society, we have gone bonkers over our sexual desires. We live in a promiscuous, adulterous, and pornographic nation. Listen to some of these statistics, and please don't drown me out, and I know they may turn some of your stomachs, but we need to face the reality. In 2018, Gallup polled American adults on whether they see certain activities as morally acceptable. So they're asking, is this morally acceptable or not? In America, what do you say? Almost 70% of American adults said sex between an unmarried man and woman is morally acceptable. 70%. We live in an adulterous, promiscuous nation. According to research by Mark Regnerus, associate professor of sociology at the University of Texas, of Americans who regularly attend religious services. So now I'm talking about not just America in general, I'm now talking about statistics about people like you. Listen to this. 21% or one in five say they don't know what they think of no strings attached sex. One out of every five people in here goes, "Ah, I don't know if it's morally acceptable or not. And then listen to this. One in four in religious services are not willing to condemn pornography. One in four. That's within this room. Do you catch that? Let's don't blame our, point our finger at America as a whole. We're a part of the problem, church. According to Grayson Gilbert's research at Wheaton College, 76% of young Christian adults, and they define what young is, 18 to 24 years old, actively search for porn. You notice that? 76% of young Christian adults, 18 to 24, actively search for porn. 33% of women age 25 and under search for porn at least once per month. It's not just a man problem. 
It's universal. And then the one that I know turns our stomachs the most, but it's the truth, and I'm going to probably get a little angry with you for good reason. According to the Barna Group and Covenant Oz, 11 is the average age that a child is first exposed to pornography. 11. And 94% of children will see porn by the age of 14. 94%. So they pretty much all will have seen it by 14. Now, can I... I'm going to strongly admonish you. This is like my fourth or fifth sermon on this subject in the two and a half plus years that I've been here. I have been telling you over and over again, put filtering software on every device you own. And I keep getting people thinking, that's not me, that's not my household, I'm talking to you. You. Cut off the stream if you think I'm talking to somebody else. I mean the people in this room. Because I know, hey, first of all, kids aren't stupid. They're smart. And the pornography industry isn't stupid. It's smart. And it's got billions invested in getting your kids hooked young. What are you doing to throw at it and stop it? When are you going to take it serious? Moms, dads, grandparents, if you've got a little one, how dare you not have it? It's that accessible. Stop living in a dream. This isn't Mayberry anymore. Sadly, it doesn't stop there. Look at the last part of that verse. Notice the ultimate, the other result. Therefore, God delivered them over in the desires of their hearts to sexual impurity so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. Number three, this leads to degraded bodies. Now, I know, of course, there's always going to be someone that looks at somebody's body and goes, that doesn't look degraded to me. Of course not. You're looking through it the lens of an ignorant person. You're looking through it through people who ignore God. This is God's perspective. I want you to think about this. We can, we can eat to live or live to eat, Right? We can master money or money can master us. But notice this, whatever your heart desires will affect your body. One of the ones that they've been talking about in our generation is we binge TV shows because it's so easily. Like no lie, last night I'm watching this documentary on World War II on Netflix. And they've even gotten this fast. Before, they maybe would put up a countdown of like 20 seconds for you to decide like, am I going to stay up another hour and avoid sleep? Or am I going to keep watching this? And now it's like a five-second bar. Why? Because they want me hooked. They want me hooked. Now, if I stayed up all night binging this TV show, which is not a bad TV show, does it affect how I feel and perform the next day? Yes. Again, desires affecting bodies. So what's the deal? Listen to this, and this, believe it or not, I can't believe this sounds profound, (laughs) but in America, this is important. The body wasn't created for sex. That is not the ultimate purpose as to why you are an embodied person. The body isn't just for sex. The body is also telic. 
The body also has a God-given purpose. God created it, and he has a reason for it. Are you ready to find out what the reason is? It says this in 1 Corinthians 6.13. Write it down. 1 Corinthians 6.13. Food is for the stomach and stomach for food. Paul is being sarcastic there. And then he answers, God will do away with both of them. Did you notice that? You're not going to need food in heaven or stomach in heaven. But catch this. I don't know if y'all noticed this. Remember, Jesus was raised bodily. He's not a disembodied spirit. No, he's bodily raised. Look at what the next verse says. However, the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. You know why you have a body? To give glory and enjoy God. That's what your body is meant for. Know what what Paul says, whether you eat, drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. This body is the instrument by which you manifest your worship and adoration of God. To use it for sexual immorality is to degrade your body. It was not meant for sexual immorality. It was meant to be a vessel that brings glory and honor to your Creator. That's what it's meant for. Now, the world's going to look at our bodies and not see that, but God looks at our bodies and goes, when you do that, that's not the reason you've got it. You're degrading what I gave it to you for. And notice how Paul caps this off, verse 25. They exchanged the truth of God for a law and worshipped and served what has been created instead of the Creator who is praised forevermore. Amen. We have substituted the truth of God for laws. I like this other definition of idolatry. Idolatry is anything, including a good thing like sex, becoming a God thing. It's a good thing becoming a God thing. Nevertheless, it's a false God. It's a false God. How can we get back from idolatry to doxology, praising God? How can we get back to praising and enjoying our Creator instead of created things? Are we slaves to sexual sin forever, forever feeling God's wrath? Is there any help? Is there any hope? Is there any love for us in this state that we're in? To be frank... Not in these verses. Not in these verses. But that does not mean there's no help, hope, or love surrounding the passages in Romans. Paul uses that same Greek word, deliver. It's paradidomai. He uses it two other times in the book of Romans. You may want to write this down. Romans 4.25, Romans 4.25, and Romans 8.32. Not only has humanity been delivered over to another's control, but listen to these verses. Romans 4.25, He, meaning Jesus, was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Romans 8.32, He did not even spare His own Son, Jesus, but offered Him up for us all. How will He not also with Him grant us everything? Church, you want to know God's love, not God's wrath? Write this down. God's love now is this, delivering Jesus up for our deliverance. 
handing Jesus over. Think about what he did. He essentially handed him over to humanity's control. And what did humanity do with the beloved Son of God? I can wait. We crucified him. We crucified him. He was delivered up to bear our sins, to take away our sins, to absorb God's wrath for us, and we made good on our end of the deal. We did exactly what we wanted. We killed him. But church, at the same time, when we have to see our Jesus in blood and cross, what we have to see through the cross is that was the doorway to our deliverance. How glorious. What do you need to do? Number one, write it down. Repent and receive deliverance. I want you to think about what Jesus has made available to you when you repent and receive deliverance. So now you've been handed over to your uncontrollable desires that lead to sexual immorality and to the degrading of the body. What Jesus can do is he can take you out of your own control and put you into another's control. Isn't that good? You say, I can't break this thing. I can't change this. You can't. You've been delivered over. But Jesus has been delivered over so that he can deliver you back to God. So repent and receive deliverance. Romans 6, 17 through 18. Paul used deliverances, the word deliverance one more time. In the book of Romans, Romans 6, 17 through 18. But thank God that although you used to be slaves of sin, you obeyed from the heart the pattern of teaching to which you were handed over. He's saying you obeyed the gospel. You've obeyed Jesus. You've come to know new life in Christ. You've been handed over to that. And notice what happens. And having been set free from sin, you have become enslaved to righteousness. You see that? You're now under the the control of a righteous God. That's what Jesus has made available to you. Will you repent? Will you stop your sin? Look it in the face and say, this is putting me under God's wrath. And then cling to Jesus, embrace Jesus and say, Jesus, save me, deliver me, bring me out of control into this, into your control. The second one is this. Here's what else happens when Jesus delivers us. Y'all, it just keeps getting better and better. Number two, the Holy Spirit gives us a W-I-T mentality. I'm going to keep riding on this one. A W-I-T mentality. Whatever it takes. Let me tell you what's fascinating. When you repent of your sin and receive deliverance, the Holy Spirit comes and resides in your life, has a relationship with you. And here's what Galatians 5, 16 through 18 says. I say then, he's speaking to Christians, walk or live by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh, and they are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want. That's a good thing, (laughs) so that you don't do what you want. Because what did we want? Oh, the uncontrollable desires. The Holy Spirit comes in and goes, stop it. (laughs) See, we couldn't do that before. We were just, we just plunged into death and destruction. And the Spirit of God comes and goes, not anymore, not since I've taken residence. 
He gives you that mentality. And then we got to begin to obey the teachings of Jesus. If it means you pull out your eye and you cut off your hand, you do it. I want to offer you some hope and help for those who are cohabitating or you're having sex outside of marriage because you're still trying to figure out if you want to marry that person, I will give you a free pre-marriage assessment. If you'll write that just on that, that tear-off bulletin, it's, it's actually clinically done. You can take it online. It's sent to me. I'll walk you through. I'll tell you whether that guy's the real deal or not. And what I'm saying is this. Don't keep doing this. Stop living outside of God's boundaries. Stay inside them. That's where God is delighted. And you'll find the most joy. The second one is this. I keep telling you, if you can't afford, because I know this, Good filtering software on every device that you have. You write it on the back of that tear-off panel. You fold it up. You drop it in the, the offering plate. The church will buy it. And if the church can't afford it, we'll sell everything off. That was just made by me right there. We can't afford it anymore. Get accountability, church. We have to be a place, we have to be a people, not a place, a people. That when, when someone comes and bears their soul to us, that they're, 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 they're stuck in this. That it'll be kept in confidence. And that we're not here to berate them, but to lovingly walk them through it. Remember what Galatians 6.1 says, Consider yourself, lest you also be tempted. You understand, the shoes can easily be put on the other person's foot, just like that. Every single one of us. You may sit there and go, well, this sexual sin is not an issue for me. But it is for your neighbor. How dare you not walk in love? And just while you may seem to be impervious now, it doesn't mean you'll be impervious later. Avoid vulnerability. Sever attractions. If there's a person that you know, and there's no ill will against that person, but you know you can't keep your thought life and your desires in control, then it's time to say, I can't, I can't spend time with you any longer. You have to obey the living God. You weren't created for that type of living. The third thing, and this is what I need you to remember, have evangelistic empathy. Have evangelistic empathy. It's easy, I mean this, it's easy to get amens to saying America is an adulterous, promiscuous, pornographic nation. You know what's harder to do is get the church to go out and evangelize that nation. What I need you to understand, I've been reading this, this verse has messed me up, Titus 3.3, for we too, he's talking about Christians, for we Christians were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various passions and pleasures. Did you catch that? What we have to get, hey, if it wasn't for the grace of God and Jesus Christ, we would be in the exact same predicament. We would have no hope, no help. And so what that should move the church to do is when we see people experiencing the wrath of God in their life, it should create a zeal and a passion for us so that we can say with Paul in Romans 1.15, I'm eager to get to Rome and preach the gospel. Why? Because it was the solution to the human problem. If you're stuck in, human, uh, in sexual immorality, here's Jesus. He can take you out from its control and put you into a spirit-controlled life. 
Yes, in God's wrath, we've been delivered over to our uncontrollable desires that have wreaked havoc on our lives, societies, and bodies. But God, in His love, delivered up His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins and deliver us from all the dangers of our sins. And the question is simply this this morning. Will you repent and embrace the deliverance of Jesus? Will you put your eternal soul in Jesus' hands? Jesus is God's love. Jesus is our only help. And Jesus is our only hope. Thanks for listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. Please join us this Sunday at 11 a.m. To plan your visit, go to mtcarmeldemarest.com.